Six of an eight-week series called Theology for Ordinary People. Uh, who's ordinary here? <laughs> yeah, me too. And the premise is that understanding God better leads to a firmer foundation of faith and, more importantly, a closer relationship with God. You know, the, the better we know someone, the more we know about them and understand them, usually the, the closer we can get, the deeper the relationship so we've been using this book from Alison McGrath called Theology, for, uh, Theology the Basics as our, as our source material each week and just using some of the chapters that he's written. Uh, you know, if you're wondering how much of his stuff I'm using, you know, I'd say about 60 to 70%, something like that. But that's why I want to acknowledge him every week, you know, because we're borrowing heavily from his particular book there. So far we've covered creation, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity, that was a good one last week. Got lots of good feedback from people. Lots of uh, questions, some of them difficult, and that's good too. Coming up next week, we're looking at um, understanding the, the theology of the church, and we're going to look at, at sacraments and things like that. And then we'll, lastly, the last week, we're going to uh, look at heaven. So today, though, we want to understand salvation. In one sense, salvation, <coughs> excuse me, should be easy enough for everybody to understand because. The word is not just a Christian word. Uh, you know, being saved is, is used in, in many different contexts. But in terms of theology, the basic definition that I pulled straight from the Oxford Dictionary is Christian salvation is deliverance from sin and its consequences to be brought about by faith in Christ. And if you spend any time in the church or reading the Bible, you know, that definition to you, it, it probably makes sense. Thanks. But I would suggest that many in our current culture, if you didn't grow up in the church, which is many people, they might not understand what that means, you know, what that definition there actually means. You know, if I didn't know anything about Christ or faith or sin or, you know, why I even need saving, that definition doesn't mean much to me. It's an important point for us as Christians, you know, we, we do live in, in this post Christian culture. You know, I, I love Billy Graham and, and all of the, those kind of evangelists that, that have been around for a long time. Um, but when they spoke to a culture, there was generally a, a basic understanding of, of this, you know, of this definition. And it's not really the case anymore. You know, I know my audience here today, by and large, understands what salvation is, because most of you would be believers. You know, you're saved. But as with all of our topics in this series, it's good to take a, a deeper look at what the, the theology of salvation is, what the doctrines are that we believe so that we have that good understanding. And also, you know, so we've got a confidence. We've got that confidence in us that we know. We know we're saved. The Bible talks about it all the way through, especially the New Testament. But the Old Testament also tells the story you know, of Israelites being saved. They came out of slavery by God's miraculous hand. And the New Testament tells the story of salvation for all people also by God's miraculous hand. We know the Israelites were trapped in bondage of which they had no way out through their own strength. And we too, uh, you know, we were or, or we still are trapped in a, 
a bondage of which we have no way out in our own strength. And the New Testament is clear that all people are in need, all people are in need of salvation. Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he also says in the same chapter in Romans that no one is righteous, not even one. Only the righteous can be in relationship with God and enjoy eternity with him. And so therefore, you know, this is the need for salvation. Therefore, we need to be saved. So with that in mind, there's two questions that I want to answer today. And the first one is, what is salvation? And the second one is, well, how is it even possible? So let's look at that first one. What is salvation? Now, I mentioned last week, uh, I told you the story about how I was in New York a few years ago with some young adults and, and an experience we had in a church. I've got another story from that same trip. And I, I don't think I've told you this one. But, you know, I think that if I'm going to be a pastor here for a long time, you're going to hear stories a couple of times. <laughs> and you've already noticed a few, haven't you? Anyway, we had come up out of a subway station into a, uh, a major intersection uh, again, we were back in Brooklyn, it was, it was busy, people everywhere, cars everywhere, trucks, buses and all that sort of stuff, and we were crossing this intersection and we heard this lady's voice from in the distance, stop, 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 and when we turned, coming straight for us across this intersection is this little boy, probably about two or three years old, just bolting like this. Now... If that wasn't bad enough, we're watching this little fella come towards us. When I turn my head that way, there's a bus coming in the other direction. And I could tell that driver hadn't seen the little guy running out across the intersection. And so, what do you do? I'd say nearly every single one of us in that little group immediately stepped out into the intersection doing this to the bus driver. You know, stop. Stop, and we're pointing. There's a, a little fellow there, and he just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. And eventually, of course, thankfully, he sees what's going on, and he stops. Now, I don't want to make this too overdramatic. You know, he's probably a good 10 or 15 metres away. No one grabbed the kid and dove out the way. I wish I could tell that story in some ways. <laughs> but there was a sense that something had been saved. Well, someone had been saved in that particular instance. The Alpha Course tells the true story of Maximilian Kobe. Maximilian Kobe was a Polish Catholic priest who was arrested in 1941 by the Nazis for helping um, you know, some Polish refugees and Jewish refugees as well. Eventually, he ends up in Auschwitz concentration camp where he would continue to, to minister to people as best as he could. One day there was a, a, an escape of prisoners. And so the guards randomly selected 10 men to die as punishment. One of these men was Francis Gajewicek. Francis Gajewicek cried out, You've selected me, but my poor wife and family... Who will care for them now? And Maximilian Colby, he heard this cry from this man. He said to the guards, I don't have any immediate family. I want to take his place. 
And amazingly, the guards agreed, and Colby and the other nine prisoners were starved to death for weeks until they had died. There's a sense of salvation there, though, isn't there, for Francis Govicek. Jackie Pullinger was a missionary in Hong Kong from 1966 who worked in the most desperate and poor areas of Hong Kong. The most difficult, the most uh, unimaginable suffering that went on in the, in the areas that she worked. She had given up her life in England for this, the physical, emotional and spiritual healing for the most needy, the, the least. And she has this famous quote that says, followers of Christ should have soft hearts and hard feet. And I love that. Some would say she was like the Protestant version of Mother Teresa. Many of those she helped have talked about this amazing self-sacrifice that she made for their, for their benefit and healing. Now, I'll give you th- I've given you three illustrations back-to-back there that have a sense of salvation about them. The themes of salvation are deliverance, liberation, and healing. And I just love that image from Jackie Pullinger, soft hearts and hard feet. Sacrifice that results in healing. Sacrifice that results in healing. Healing is part of salvation. In fact, the image of a hospital is a good one for the church. There's a reason why most of the hospitals around the world were originally started by the church, by Christians. But the church should be a hospital of sorts for anyone seeking healing, you know, spiritual, emotional, relational, and I'm going to put in there physical healing. Salvation, though, shouldn't be considered as just something from, one, from a moment in my history. It's important to see salvation as not just our past, it's our present right now. It's also our future And that's the way the the New Testament describes it. You know, Paul's very good at at, um, delivering us doctrine to understand these things. So in Romans, he says, we were given this hope when we were saved. And then in in the present dimension, in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. You know, there's this sense that we are being saved still today. You know, it's, it's continual. And, and it has a future dimension in Romans 13. This is all the more urgent for you who know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know, there, there's, there's three dimensions to it, isn't it? Past, in that moment when we first believed, present we're being saved now God is saving us and he will come again and we will be saved there is more to come so what are some of the key doctrines of salvation to help us answer that question well what is salvation beyond what I've already shared so I've got I'm just going to give you three and there's more than three as always I say this every week there's more than I share with you but we're going to just start with three so first one up the first word we want to use the first doctrine is adoption now, adoption is significant to anyone who's, who's been adopted in, into a new family. You know, it's that moment when uh, officially and formally uh, 
you know, you belong to that family, and the government makes it official. And it's not to say you don't belong before that piece of paper, by the way. You know, emotionally and physically, we can be accepted and belong to a family without an adoption certificate. We, we know that to be true, but the piece of paper makes it formal in the eyes of the government. It's, it's legal. You're legally part of that family. And adoption in the Christian sense is officially belonging to God's family. Let's check the scripture in Romans 8. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we can call him Abba Father. So the scripture itself is using this word adopted, knowing exactly what that means. The Holy Spirit is like the adoption certificate in one sense for us. That's the gift he gives to make it official. Welcome to the family. Hello? Oh, good. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, the second doctrinal word is justification. I mean, we're in Romans 5 now. We're going to be in Romans a fair bit today. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It's because of our faith Christ has brought us into his place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You know, there's lots of good stuff in there that we could talk about, but the focus on this point is being made right in God's sight. Who wants, to be, who wants God to see us in that way? To be made right. That's what we mean by justification. You know, it's from the word justice. This is the key. Salvation changes our legal status. I, 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 you know, for want of a better word, I can't think of one, but in God's kingdom, salvation changes the status before God from guilty and separated and condemned to being declared not guilty, no longer guilty. And therefore, right with God. I need you to hear this. This is where we have assurance of our acquittal. And where our peace with God comes from. Justification. Romans 5. Made right in God's sight by faith. All right, the third one is redemption. And redemption at its core is securing someone's release through some kind of payment. Practical examples, if you're trying to uh, relate it, you know, you think of, um, in the, sadly, in the old days when, when slaves were held and someone had to release them with a payment for them to have freedom. Or think of at the end of a war when a country would sometimes, they would pay for the release of POW's redemption. For Christians, the death of Jesus is the price that is paid that secures the freedom of believers from slavery and to, to sin and death. From slavery to sin and death. 1 Corinthians 6, For God bought you with a high price. It doesn't just say price, it's a high price. So you must, so because it's a high price, we should honor God with our bodies, how we live. It's a how we live is a response to that amazingly, that, to redemption, to that high price that was paid for us. 
You know, a similar word to redemption is ransom. And the Bible actually uses the word ransom in a couple of places. But there's just a little caution with this word. Because like redemption, it's associated with liberation from, with a payment made. However, ransom sometimes has an expectation that a captor is being paid. Like the bad guy is getting a payment. The good guys have to pay the bad guys for someone's release. And it, it's that somewhat, you know, in my opinion... Uh, faulty line of thinking that has led people to conclude that God paid a ransom to the devil. Now, that, that is a common thought. But as far as I can find it, and McGrath, McGrath agrees with me, there is nothing in the New Testament that says a ransom was paid to Satan for our salvation. It was our sin that held us captive. The father did not give his son to Satan to pay for our liberation. Satan gained nothing from the cross. It wasn't a deception from God, although Satan maybe has deceived himself in that area. A price was paid at a high cost, the life of Jesus. But the devil didn't receive that payment. It was always God's idea and it was a gift from God for us out of love, a sacrifice to remove the curse of sin. Now, that I might be off track with some of you here today, and that's okay, but I'm just telling you this is how I've read this. There's also another idea that I think is a little bit of faulty thinking, that it came from a tradition that it's still common today, it's still debated, and it's the idea that after dying, Christ descended into hell, you know, broke the gates, um, got the keys, and, and, and freed the imprisoned souls or something like that. It, it's true that some versions of the Apostles' Creed did contain those words descended into hell, but they were, those words were changed in later editions. And, you know, some of our old hymns mention those words. In fact, even some of our modern songs, I've noticed. You know, we were looking at one recently and deciding, do we, do we sing this because we're not really in alignment with that, uh, that, that, that doctrine? It is an accepted doctrine in many areas of Christianity, but you know, I agree again with McGrath that Scripture doesn't really support this idea. In fact, as far as I know, you won't find it in our, in our Wesleyan statement of beliefs either. Some have said 1 Peter 3 is a, a bit of a nod to that. If you want to look that up later, you can, but it's far from clear. But there is no doubt, yes, descended in, into death, into, we could say, darkness. But what happened from there until the resurrection, that's definitely debated. It's definitely debated. But listen, if you hold a different view on that one, it's okay. Um, you know, you're, you're welcome to. Um, and you're far from alone. But I hope you're getting a, a better grasp of what salvation is. We've had three ideas so far. Adoption. When we're, we're brought into God's family uh, and locked in. Uh, justification. You know, that idea that we're made right with God and redemption. A high price was paid. And there's many more, as I said. But we're going to move to question two. How is salvation possible? And the answer lies in the work of Jesus on the cross. The theological term that we use in Christianity is atonement. Atonement is, in essence, reconciliation between us and God through the work of Jesus on that cross. And so... It's the cross that is the answer to how salvation is possible. It's the work of Jesus on the cross that is the answer to how salvation is possible. Atonement. 
Let me give you three doctrines. Again, three words to explain this better. The first one is sacrifice, and I've touched on this already. There is a strong link to the Old Testament here where God required a sacrifice of an unblemished lamb or animal because of sin, because the wages of sin is death. That's how serious it is. Let's not take for granted the cost for the sin we had. That's what separates us from God, and a perfectly just and sinless God can't shortcut this fact of of how serious it is. This is why in the Old Covenant there was this constant, pretty much daily animal sacrifice. Who's read the Old Testament here? You know, when you get into Leviticus and Numbers and and Deuteronomy, there's some bits where you're going, that is a lot of blood. That is a lot of blood. Like in our sanitized culture, we would be going, what kind of religion is this? You know, probably not so much then. But I I make the point that the wages of sin is death. But that kind of sacrifice wasn't good enough. So Jesus, who was perfect, you know, the only human to have no sin was sufficient to be the sacrifice for all and forever. Do you hear that? To be a perfect sacrifice for all, it had to be a perfect, unblemished, you know, Lamb of God. That's why we call Jesus that. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for, uh, I could put my, uh, me in there or our in there, our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Jesus took on those wages of our sin, the cost, the consequence. Christ was able to be an effective sacrifice for human sin precisely because he was the only one able to bring our fallen sinful nature Before his father, the sacrifice was effective because of his humanity and his divinity. When we remember and thank Jesus for his sacrifice, we do that weekly, daily hopefully. We thank him because of the enormous cost to him and the benefits he freely gave to us. We also acknowledge an important point here that it wasn't our sacrifice or work that saved us. You know, we can't take credit for it. <laughs> we, couldn't, we, we couldn't and don't earn our salvation. Jesus graciously did that for us out of his love. That's why we call it grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve. Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving something we do deserve. The second one is victory. The New Testament declares that God has given victory through the death and resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But thank God, he gave us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's two things mentioned. Victory over those two things, but there's, there's three that I can think of. So we, we have victory over sin, which had control over us. You know, we, this is the doctrine of 
of sinners that we are all born sinners since the fall, since Adam and Eve, and it, it, it tends to control us. The death and resurrection of Christ gave us a victory over sin and a power to defeat it. The power was broken. The second thing is death, or, or in particular, fear of death. I mean, we, we're going to die. I, we just, I can't tell you when you're not going to die. We're going to die eventually, but now we don't fear it because Jesus promised new life with him for eternity. Now, I get that there can be a fear of dying. That would be normal, you know, the process. But death itself, fear was beaten by what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Because we know what happens after. And we have a promise. And it's eternity in heaven. You all know what I'm talking about. All right. And the third thing is uh, that we have victory over is Satan. Now, now, Satan is powerful, but Jesus even more so. And he lives in me. And the Bible says that there is power in the name of Jesus. And that Jesus, God, Jesus gave us authority. You can use my name. Remember the disciples, they were so amazed. They come back to Jesus and said, the, the demons respond to your name. They flee. We humans are prisoners, unable to break free from these three things until someone greater than any human entered into our situation to liberate us and give us victory. This is why we sing and rejoice, because sin controls us and harms us. Death scares us and makes us fearful. Satan attacks us. The Bible says he steals, kills, and destroys. However, Jesus overcame all those things, and we share in the victory. We have a new life, a new eternity, and Satan can go jump in the fire. And one day, that's where he will be put forever. Victory in Jesus. The third thing is forgiveness. Ephesians 1 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace, rich in it. He's got lots of it. That he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Forgave our sins. God cannot restore us to fellowship with him without dealing with this human sin thing, this problem. And I know I've said the word sin a lot today, but we have to talk about it. If you want a definition of sin, I'll go with McGrath's definition. He says, sin is the disruption of the moral ordering of the universe. It's the rebellion of creation against the creator. Anything that's against him and his word. That includes what we do to others. It's nice to be able to gloss over it, but that's our condition and that it must be healed. In 1 Peter, Peter says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Forgiven, restored, brought to new life. The death of Jesus demonstrates God's total opposition to sin, while at the same time demonstrating his total love for us by providing this means of forgiveness. Well, again, I get to the end of the, the academic stuff, and I think, well, we've got to respond. Don't we? Yeah. I mean, we've just read God's word in multiple locations. 
So there's, there's two things. Firstly, there is an offer to you. And surely when I'm preaching on salvation, I have to, I have to bring that offer to you for it. The offer is salvation. And now today, hopefully you understand what it means and why and how. You can't earn it. Again, Paul's clear in Ephesians 2. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. You can be a very good person. A good person and still not be saved. And today you know why. In other words, Christ has accomplished what we can't. We have to receive that gift of salvation via God's grace through asking for it. Well, you say, well, how do I ask for it? Well, you've probably heard in some of these scriptures today, Paul says, believe. Believe. Believe in. Not just know about and, ex- and acknowledge. Okay? When you believe in someone or something, you don't just acknowledge them. When you believe in them, you agree with them, you, you're supporting them. When we believe in Jesus, we don't just acknowledge that he existed. We believe that he is who he said he is and therefore I am following him. I'm believing in him. We have to say it out loud. I believe in you, Jesus. That's what it says. Paul says in Romans, you've got to acknowledge it with your lips. You've got to believe it in your heart. It's both those things. So believe and, and repent. Jesus himself says you should repent. Repent is, um, you know, it feels like a really old-fashioned word that those fundamentalist Christians talk about all the time. No, no, it just simply means I'm going to change what I think, who I am. I'm going to change teams. I'm going to get off team Nathan. I'm going to get on team Jesus. You know, I'm going to get off team world and all the stuff the world tells me to do, I'm going to get on team God and follow what he wants. That's repent. I am sorry for these things. They're no good. I'm going to go for these things. They're the right ones. That's repent. And we should... And we should ask for forgiveness for those things and move over to those things. 100% his follower. No such thing as part-time Christians. Following Jesus is not a hobby. When we kind of feel up to it. It's a daily thing. It's an all-of-life thing. It's an all-of-heart thing. It's not partial heart. It's whole heart. It's not when the music's at its best. It's not when... um, I'm on my camp and I'm talking about God every day, although those things are awesome and we need them. It's not full, part-time, it's, it's a full-time. Yeah. The last thing is that we, we believe we repent and the last thing is we receive. We receive in faith that grace from God and the gift of his Holy Spirit that he promised when you believe. The adoption certificate if I can put it that way. Believe, repent, and receive. I want to encourage you today. If you've never done that, or if you've, you've walked away from God, if you're off the rails, today, believe, repent, 
receive. I know the world is pulling in other directions. I know there's lots of temptations. But Jesus said you'll have life to the full with me. Being with Jesus doesn't mean you have a boring, sad life. That's not the case. There's a sacrifice to be made. But there's a blessing in that. Believe, repent, receive. Would you do that today? Would you close your eyes with me? If today you've heard the message of salvation and you're ready to be saved, to be adopted, to be made right, to be forgiven, then just pray quietly in your own heart those three things. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in who you are. Today I will follow you wholeheartedly. And I'm sorry for what I have done. Forgive me. And now I receive you into my life. I thank you for your grace and your gift. And I open my heart to your Holy Spirit to live in me. If you're already a strong follower of God, I want you to keep praying with me now as well. And we want to say thank you, God. We want to say thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you that you loved me. I didn't deserve it, God, but you loved me and saved me. And I thank you, God, for that today. That you would die on the cross, take it away from me, and give me your life. Give me life. I just thank you, Jesus, for that. God, we just read that you were rich in grace and love. And I thank you that you make us rich in that way. Thank you, God. We thank you, God, that you, you stay with us through all the difficult stuff and all the, the things we can barely stand up in, and, and yet you're there, all, you're in the fire with us all the time. We thank you, God, that you've given us promises. We thank you, God, that whatever happens on this earth, we've got eternity to look forward to with you. That hope lives in my heart, God. I thank you, Jesus. God, I, I just pray for um, all those who we know who haven't experienced your salvation. Lord, help us to show them. Help us to tell them. Help us, Lord, to, to live, to be the light in their lives that more would be saved. Thank you, Father.